Welcome to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program provided by Living Stream Ministry. During his ministry, Witness Lee emphasized the experience of Christ as life and the practical oneness of the believers. He was unbending in his conviction that God's goal is the body of Christ. Through his messages, he stressed the importance for us to grow in life and to function as Christians so that the body can build itself up. We're happy to bring you recorded portions from his ministry today, along with some of our own thoughts. And we welcome your comments and questions. You can reach us toll free at 888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Now let's join today's program. Festivals, feasts, and holidays are special times for all humans. They're always associated with rest and enjoyment. And they are only satisfying when enjoyed with others. In other words, they're meant to be corporate events. The Bible records seven annual festivals or feasts that were very much a part of the Old Testament economy. And these are found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. And God's people eagerly anticipated all of them. Though we as God's New Testament people are not bound to celebrate or hold these festivals outwardly today, They each have tremendous insight and spiritual application to every child of God. Stay with us today as we look at the feasts in Leviticus 23 on our life study of the Bible program. And joining us is Bob Danker. Welcome back. It's good to be back, Chris. As you say, this matter of feasts or festivals is a matter of enjoyment and rest. In our Christian life, we can enjoy a feast right. for our entire Christian life. As all these festivals in Leviticus show us, God wants to enjoy Christ together with us, and he wants us to enjoy Christ with one another. Bob, I've looked forward to this program. I remember when this message was given back in 1988 and uh, the enjoyment that was attached to it to see as Leviticus winds down now. Here we've got these two wonderful things near the end of the book, the matter of the Jubilee and then these festivals or feasts. It really ends on a a very high plateau in terms of our experience and enjoyment, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Chris. Well, as we mentioned, chapter 23 is all about these seven festivals. Uh, These were ordained for the children of Israel to hold every year. Before we go to Witness Lee's first segment, Bob, let's talk about one obvious aspect of these events, and that is that in order for them to be really satisfying and full of enjoyment, they must be observed corporately. This points to something very significant in our experience as well, doesn't it? Yes, Chris. Most of the time we are accustomed to uh, viewing our experience of salvation as a kind of an individualistic matter. We always see ourselves as individuals. But actually, God does not see us in this way. He sees us as a corporate people. All of the believers in Christ in the eyes of God are one body. Mm -hmm. Just as in the Old Testament, all the Israelites were one nation. They all were saved at the same time. They all were redeemed in Egypt. They all came out of Egypt. They went through the wilderness together. Everything they experienced together. So their life was a corporate life. Of course, there was an individual aspect. When they entered into the good land, each obtained a allotted portion of that land, and they were all to 
labor on that portion and to reap the harvest, and they had some individual enjoyment of the produce of the good land. Well, as we've seen from other broadcasts, the good land is a type of Christ whom God has given to all of us to be our portion for our enjoyment. And we all need to experience Christ ourselves. I cannot enjoy Christ for you, nor can you enjoy Christ for me. So there's an individual aspect. But I would say, as the Old Testament shows us, the top enjoyment that the Israelites had was not in with their family in their individual tent. It was at these festivals when all the people came together to one place, that was Jerusalem, to enjoy the riches of the produce of the good land together with God and with one another. And this is a picture of the corporate aspect of our Christian life. Our Christian life must have a corporate aspect. And I would say that this aspect is more significant than the individual aspect. Mm -hmm. You see, if we don't have a proper experience of the corporate aspect, it's really hard for us even to enjoy the Lord individually in a rich way. Bob, there's a a very obvious parallel, I think, in the natural realm, even our enjoyment of family get-togethers or holidays, if we want to call them that. It's altogether dependent upon the corporate aspect. I think anybody who's gone through one of these periods uh, when they're by themselves uh, because of circumstance, it's not that pleasant. But when uh, we can anticipate all of the people coming together, uh, it's a totally a totally different experience, isn't it? Absolutely. No one wants to be alone on a holiday. <laughs> Everyone wants to be with his friends or his family because of this corporate aspect of the enjoyment of a festival or a feast. And that's the same in the spiritual realm. Well, let's join Witness Lee as we get into these festivals. Now we come to a wonderful matter in this book. That is the festivals. After we have come to chapter 22, from our inclination to the very enjoyable priesthood. At the end of chapter 22, we could see a kind of service carried out by God's serving ones all together in perfection and in completion for the enjoyment with God and one with another. Now, what is left? Well, what is left? Just the festival. We know the festivals are for rest and for the enjoyment. Rest and joy for the enjoyment. This is a festival. In this book of God's priesthood for God's service in the fellowship with God, this issues in a rest and joy we enjoy with God and with one another. And these festivals were appointed by God, ordained by God. It is not something occasionally take place at certain times. No, these are appointed, ordained by God for his redeemed people to rise with him to be joyful with him, to enjoy what he has provided for his redeemed people, and that they may enjoy all the things in front of him, with him, and one with another. A festival just for rest, and for joy, and for enjoyment. And this rest, this joy, this enjoyment is with God, 
and the people with one another. Not in an individual way, but in a corporate way, in a convocation. The feast of the Passover, this is the first one. Signifying Christ as our redemption to begin our enjoyment of God's salvation with God. The Passover is the beginning, the start of God's salvation for us to enjoy with God. Well, Bob, the first and, well, likely the best known of these festivals among Christians, at least, is the Feast of Passover. Most people remember the Bible story that tells us about the Passover while Israel was still captive in Egypt. And we know, of course, how each household was to slay a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, and the death angel would then pass over that house. But what about us today, Bob? Is there still the need of the Feast of Passover? Well, Chris, outwardly, uh, we don't observe that feast uh, as they did in the Old Testament. But in our personal experience with God, we surely need to enjoy Christ as our Passover. In fact, if we don't enjoy Christ as our Passover, then we have nothing to do with God's salvation and with the enjoyment of the other feasts. Right. This was the first of the feasts, and this feast signifies the enjoyment that we had of Christ as our redemption on the very day that we were saved. On the first day of our Christian life, we enjoyed Christ as our Passover feast. We enjoyed his redemption. We enjoyed the fact that his blood washed us and cleansed us from our sins. And because of that, God passed over us Mm -hmm. and no longer condemns us and judges us. And we also enjoyed eating him as the lamb, although we might not have realized that when we were saved, we ate the Lord Jesus, we actually did because we received him right. and he entered into us That's just right. as that lamb entered into the children of Israel when they were enjoying that first Passover feast in Egypt. In our enjoyment of the Passover, we had the same experience as they did in the spiritual way, but our experience was very real to us. On that day, we surely had a feast. We enjoyed rest. We enjoyed satisfaction. We enjoyed freedom from condemnation, and we realized that something changed in our inner being. Christ entered into us, and this was the beginning of our enjoyment of God's salvation. I remember back, Bob, when we were uh, doing the life study of Exodus, we had a couple of programs on the Passover that were just so rich and so wonderful to me. Uh, I reflect back on those. Every detail related to the uh, Passover really matches up with our own experience. And I think probably those who appreciate the Passover the most, maybe the Christians who have really entered into the spiritual reality of this even more than the Jews that practice it outwardly. That's right, Chris. We need to appreciate what we have already experienced. Okay, the second feast, which we're about to look at, was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we know from the New Testament that leaven refers to sin, and Christ, of course, is the bread of life. So this is the feast of our enjoyment of the sinless Christ. Let's go back to Witness Lee. The second feast signifies the entire course of our Christian life. It is a feast of seven days signifying an entire course, and this is the course of our Christian life. The course of our Christian life of our entire Christian life is a feast. Feast of what? Feast of unleavened bread. 
a face that without sin because we are redeemed from sin. And now this very Redeemer who is without sin becomes our face for our lifelong term. We are in the feast, enjoying Christ, enjoying God, enjoying our Redeemer, apart from sin. We have nothing to do with sin. This is our feast, a long-term feast for the entire Christian life. And uh, what feast we all have passed through, the Passover, as God's New Testament people corporately, we had passed the Passover feast. On what day? On the day the Lord Jesus was there establishing his table. You know, his table, the Lord's table, is a replacement of the Old Testament Passover. The Lord Jesus was there establishing his table. He picked up the uh, bread and said to the disciples, see, take this and eat and enjoy. This is my body, given up for you. Then he picked up the cup and passed on to the disciples and said, take and drink. This is my blood shed for your sins. That was the New Testament Passover, replacing the Old Testament Passover. The uh, Lord's table is a replacement. Yes, we have passed that Passover feast, but we are still keeping it. And some of you just have passed his Passover feast about just three weeks ago when you got saved. Right away, following that day, we are put into another feast, the feast of the unleavened bread. You see, in the feast of the Passover, we enjoy Christ as what? As the lamb plus the unleavened bread. Then the following feast, the feast of the unleavened bread, the main thing we enjoy is Christ again but Christ in another aspect. Christ as the unleavened bread, as our life supply without sin. And we live day by day by this bread without sin after we got saved. And this is our living for our whole Christian life. Bob, there's several really interesting points here. If we look at the details of these feasts, the Passover took place on the 14th day of the first month of the Hebrew calendar. And then the very next day was this Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it lasted for seven days, a seven-day-long feast. So it's obvious that this feast was a kind of a continuation, really, of the Passover. This is very relevant to our own experience, Bob. If the Lord's table replaces the Passover, then what has become the replacement of this Feast of Unleavened Bread? Chris, after the Passover, as was the case in the Old Testament, the people entered into another feast immediately. That was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which lasted for seven days. This is a type or a picture of our Christian life. After we experience Christ as our Passover on the day when we are saved, then we need to go on, beginning from that very day, 
to enjoy Christ continually, day after day, for the entire course of our Christian life, as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in this feast, the main thing is the bread that is without leaven. That means the Christ who is without sin. So, during the rest of our Christian life, we need to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That means we need to eat the sinless Christ every day so that we can live a life without sin. Christ redeemed us from sin, so we shouldn't continue living in sin anymore. But how can we, who are sinners by nature, overcome sin? There's no other way but by eating the sinless Christ, the very Christ who has no sin in him. As we eat him day by day, our nature is changed from a nature full of leaven to a nature without leaven, and we're able to live a life without sin. Well, we need to keep this feast of unleavened bread, eating the sinless Christ for the rest of our Christian life. Okay, Bob. Our third festival that we want to look at today is called the Feast of the First Fruits, and we want to point out that this feast took place on the third day following the Passover. Here's Witness Lee once again. Now, thirdly, we have the Feast of the First Fruit, the third annual feast, which is a feast of the first fruit, signifying the resurrected Christ for our enjoyment as a feast in his resurrection. And we know, according to history, this feast was just three days later than the Passover feast. Christ was crucified on the Passover feast. Then he was buried for three days. Then on the third day, he resurrected. And that made another feast, the feast of the first fruit, that is the feast of Christ in his resurrection as the first fruit from resurrection. The resurrected Christ with some of the Old Testament saints was brought to God. You know, in Matthew 27, if you read carefully, there we are told when Christ was resurrected, some of the Old Testament saints resurrected with him. And after their resurrection, they showed them to the people at Jerusalem. Some people at Jerusalem saw them. So these Old Testament resurrected saints became a sheaf with Christ. Not just one single stalk, but a sheaf of wheat. They were resurrected and Christ with them was brought to God just like in a type. This first fruit was brought into the sanctuary and presented to God for God's fresh enjoyment. Bob, there are two things associated with this uh, third feast, the Feast of First Fruits, that I would like to get into. The significance of the timing of this feast coming on the third day after the Passover and then the corporate aspect of the first fruits and the waving before God. 
Yes, Chris. Of course, the, the, as we saw earlier, the Feast of the Passover took place uh, in the New Testament on the day of the Lord's crucifixion. Right. And then that was followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread and then the Feast of the First Fruits. Now, the first fruits signify Christ, who is the first fruits of resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it says, Christ is the first fruits right. in resurrection. So the first fruits of the harvest of the children of Israel signify the resurrected Christ. So if you look at the historical uh, aspect of this feast, when was Christ resurrected? He was resurrected three days after he was crucified, right? Mm-hmm. So actually, the feast of the first fruits took place three days after the feast of the Passover. Right? right, according to the sequence here in the actual uh, experience of Christ in his death and his resurrection. So here, this is the timing of this feast. Now, the corporate aspect of this feast, as you mentioned, as it says here in Leviticus 23 and is mentioned also in other parts of the Bible, on the day after the Sabbath, the people of Israel were to take a sheaf of first fruits. That means a collection of stalks of grain, not one stalk, right. but a group of stalks of ripened grain, and they were to bring them to God, and they were to wave them before God. And this waving is a kind of a movement. This is a sign that Christ is moving in resurrection. Right. Of course, when he died, he became stationary, motionless. But in his resurrection, he began to move. Yeah. So the waving of the first fruits is a picture of the resurrected Christ, waving in his resurrection. This sheaf of first fruits is a collection of stalks, more than one stalk. This points to the fact that in the resurrection of Christ, it was not only Christ who was resurrected. Actually, it was all of God's chosen people who were resurrected, including you and me and every one of our radio listeners who is a real believer in the Lord, who's chosen by God. We all were resurrected in the day when Christ was resurrected. And this is shown even more graphically in Matthew chapter 27. We are told clearly that on the day of the Lord's crucifixion, when Christ died on the cross, many of the tombs of the Old Testament saints were opened. And then these saints came out of their tombs after Christ was resurrected, and they appeared to many people. It says here in Matthew 27. So this shows that not only was Christ resurrected alone, but he was resurrected with a sheaf of first fruits. And together, they all were waved in the presence of God for God's enjoyment and satisfaction. This is a marvelous picture of this Old Testament type of the feast of the first fruits. So whenever we enjoy Christ in resurrection, then we are participating in this feast. You know, I've heard some pretty speculative, quote, quote, Bible studies on Matthew 27, but I think this really answers it for anybody who is puzzled over this. In reading this, it's a bit obscure, but to see it as the fulfillment of Leviticus 23 is really marvelous. That's right. Bob, thank you. I I wish we had more time today. I'd like to get into several of these things. I guess we'll just uh, once again recommend that uh, our listeners contact us about getting these printed life study messages. They're really marvelous. I agree, Chris. Everyone should read the life study of Leviticus to see all the riches in this book. It will uh, change your perception of this book and perhaps the whole Bible. I concur with your recommendation, Bob. Well, we're out of time. Our toll-free number, we do invite you to contact us about the Life Study uh, printed material, also the recovery version with the footnotes. Uh, Matthew 27 is one that we would uh, recommend today. 
that toll-free number, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address, Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. For Bob Danker today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you again for listening. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. Whether you're hearing this program via radio, online, or as a podcast, you'll find hundreds of audio studies just like this one by visiting our website, lsmradio.com. We also hope you'll email us with your questions or comments, radio at lsm.org, or call us toll-free, 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening. Was Jesus simply a great religious leader? The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Based on the scriptures, the religious people were looking for a great leader, but Jesus was introduced to them as a little lamb with a little dove. The lamb is for redemption, to redeem fallen man back to God. And the dove is for life-giving, for anointing, to anoint man with what God is, to bring God into man and man into God. Both the lamb and the dove are needed for man to participate in God. Scripture, John 1.29 and commentary from the New Testament Recovery Version published by Living Stream Ministry. For more information, visit lsm.org.